Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Writerflex podcast, we have guest Jason Cutter. He's the founder and CEO of the Cutter Consulting Group and the host of the Sales Experience podcast. Jason Cutter on the Writerflex podcast. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there, my friend. I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, so you're in north of uh, San Francisco? Yep, I am halfway in between the Napa Sonoma wine country that people love and the coast. So up near Santa Rosa. You know, it's just so ugly up there. God, I can't believe you live there. <laughs> it, it, it's terrible. It's miserable. Uh, don't recommend it. Uh, you know, stay wherever you're at. <laughs> I feel like saying that about Colorado too. I'm always like, yeah, it's, it really sucks here. Please stop moving yeah. here. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> now you live in a beautiful area really cool very nice uh, before we get into your your current business and the podcast why don't you give the listeners a little personal overview about jason uh, family where you grew up stuff like that so i grew up in the san francisco bay area so not too far from where i am now and i um only child two analytical type parents. So my mom, before she retired, she spent all of her working life in banking and finance, uh, finance manager. My dad uh, went after the Navy. He went into a company as an engineer, self-taught, and then moved ah. his way up there. So mm -hmm. I have two very analytical parents. I was a shy, awkward, only child in, uh, you know, that I was also a late bloomer. And it was just kind of me and my parents doing our thing. Uh, which I bring up because later we'll talk about what I do now, which is so fascinatingly different. But um, for me, it was pretty quiet childhood. Um, I was going to be the first one to go to college in my family as, uh, you know, cool. uh, of the first one. And uh, I wasn't really ready for it. So my parents kind of pushed me towards that more because they wanted something better for me. I went okay. to community college for a few years and then I ended up going to UC Santa Cruz where I got my bachelor's degree in marine biology. Why uh, marine biology? Did that have something to do with your dad being in the Navy? No. What, the, what was the tie in there? No, um, you know, it was a transition in uh, junior high slash high school from my childhood dinosaur phase into a shark phase, uh, you know, honestly. And uh, I had a really cool biology teacher in high school, early high school, like freshman okay. year. It was okay. a general class. And a part of it, we looked at, you know, the marine biology and, and fish landscape. And then um, he actually supported me on some field trips that we went and you know, it opened my eyes to some shark related stuff. And at okay. the time that was, you know, pre shark week was just beginning. And, yeah. uh, you know, now it's a staple, but it wasn't always a thing. And, you know, I used to record it on VHS so I could watch it throughout the year. <laughs> and uh, away, you, just, you just gave away your age. VHS. I did. Yeah, I'm, I'm 44. I'll say it right now. Like, uh, you know. <laughs> I was pretty cool as a kid because I had a TV in my room that had all three channels and a pliers to change the the, you know, <laughs> the volume. So uh, anyway, I um so I went to school UC Santa Cruz, and then while I was there, I got connected with an organization, and so I actually spent two years while I was in school and two years after uh, working on different shark-related projects, tagging sharks. Uh, really? For my senior thesis, was catching sharks in the the local slough there. Cool. Uh, to do some studies on them. Cool. And um, so I did a lot of shark stuff. And then when I graduated with this great degree and a lot of experience, uh, I tried to get a job for $8 an hour scrubbing boats for fish and game and I couldn't get it. They gave it to a <laughs> master's student because uh, I wasn't qualified enough, even though I had a ton <laughs> of field work. And uh, I was like, I don't want to do more school. So um, moved to Seattle uh, with my girlfriend at the time. She got into school at UW and uh, I got a job at Microsoft for a couple of years. I don't, how? 
I thought I was really special at first. I thought I was amazing and it was like a stroke of luck. Turns out they were hiring for the holiday tech support season. Uh, This was back when tech support was actually done in America. There was actually a time as well that also dates me uh, when when it was done by people in the States. And I... um, um, I thought I was really special, but they were hiring any warm bodies to man the phones post-holiday tech support, people calling in with their broken computer games or their you know broken computer uh, issues. And um, so that was interesting, but I realized that as, as well as I did with solving problems and, and handling cases and, and helping people out, I really didn't enjoy it. Like I didn't, yeah. I wasn't a tech person like I thought I wanted to be. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then walk us through the rest of your career here before you started your company. Go ahead. Give us the, so, give us the, so then the I went from, I, yeah. So then I went from there, I went into sales. So my first sales job was in the mortgage business. I fell into it. Like most people, no training, no guidance, no indicator of, uh, of what to do, what not to do. And uh, that kind of started me on a sales journey from helping people with mortgages to helping people out of foreclosure, helping people with credit card debt, student loans, Uh, I took a brief period of time where I kind of left the regular world and worked as a government contractor overseas, deploying with the military for a while. Now, let me stop you right there because I found that interesting about your profile. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, marine biology. All right. Somehow I went to work for Microsoft. Then all of a sudden (laughs) he becomes a loan officer and deals with that. And then a little real estate. And then all of a sudden he's working as a contractor for the government. I'm like, what? Okay. I had that. (laughs) Talk to me about how you transitioned to that. Like I said, that's good. I don't, I don't want to be in real estate. I don't want to do loans. I'm going to go do this other thing. How'd that happen? Well, several life factors uh, made it such that I needed something different. I needed to generate more income as well as also needed a break uh, from the relationship I was in. You know, it was kind of a stressful time and it was like, okay, well, let's, you know, mix things up. My dad worked for that engineering company and they had done, they do mostly government projects and they were looking for people literally to deploy to the Middle East. I had worked with them a little bit in South America in 2001, um, but they were looking for more people to go to the Middle East. And so in 2011, my first deployment with that project was Iraq and Kuwait. And then I did six deployments to Afghanistan, uh, five months at a time working on, you know, government projects. Interesting. Let me ask you something there. So what people can't see because they're just listening to us here is your profile is that, you know, you're in quote real estate and, and loans up until, you know, the 08 crash and right in that and a little after Yep. Was part of you like, okay, it's 09. This sucks. I, I, I need to do something else. And then you're talking you're having like a conversation with your dad one day and he's like, Hey, I know this, I can make an introduction for you. And boom, next thing you know, you're, you're going overseas. Is that- um, he, he had been mentioning it for a while. They'd been doing a project for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and it didn't make sense for me to leave and go do that lifestyle family back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some financial things happened that, you know, some, some medical bills related to the family such that there was this huge debt and also a need for some kind of stability. I was running sales teams and the company kept changing such that it wasn't predictable and it wasn't getting to what we needed and what I needed. And I wasn't really happy there. And so then that, you know, I finally took, I I finally took him up on that conversation and then, you know, spoke to the company about it. And your girlfriend, you and your girlfriend, had just broke up. So you're like, yeah, I might as well, if I'm going to go overseas, uh, no, at, at that point, I, you know, that we're, we're moving forward. So that girlfriend turned into my first wife and then we got divorced and then I was married a second time. And then that's, I was married during that time when I then started deploying. Ooh, that's tough. Okay. Ooh, yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, I thought maybe, okay, wow. So you were married when you were being deployed. Yeah. That's always tough on the relationship. So, you know, usually. Anyway. Yeah. The benefit though, is that, you know, I was gone for five months and then when I was home for two, I was basically off for two months. There was no working. There's no other thing else. So it's, you know, it's, it's hardcore vacation mode and then it's hardcore gone mode, um, which when you get used to that rhythm works fairly well. Okay. All right. Now at that stage in your life, like, did you know, okay, I, I want to I be a career sales coach. Or, what, what did you want to do at that time? Literally no idea. Literally <laughs> a leaf in the wind um, where, A, I had no idea what I wanted to do, and B, at that time, I was beating myself up mentally 
constantly about my windy path and what felt like failures throughout my life to have some kind of direction. Okay, perfect summary statement right there because I actually looked at your, your career early on and thought this looks windy. I didn't use yes. that word in my head, but um, okay. All right, so you're having kind of a reflective moment. Plus, I think you said somewhere in here you're going through a divorce. And so, yeah, you're like, you're having some full-blown like, holy shit, what am I gonna do with my life moments? Is that accurate? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, being in the desert, um, you know, there's only so much work you can do and only so many times you can work out and eat. So it leaves a lot of time for like thinking about stuff and being away from, from everything. Um, and, you know, time to reflect if you want to, you can also just sit around and watch movies all day and, and, and count the days. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a struggle. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'm literally you know, 38 years old sitting in the desert with a marine biology degree and some sales experience, literally having no idea what I want to do with my life. Um, and then funny enough, I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out. I'm listening to podcast. I found podcasts in 2012. I know that okay. sounds silly, but that's when I found <laughs> podcasts. I'm listening to them like crazy. And, uh, you know, I actually take a free Coursera online course about operations management because I was okay. curious. I didn't know that was a thing. And then literally halfway through the course, which I aced, I'm like, I love it. This, I didn't know there was a term for this. This is something I like to do combined with sales is operations and management. I'm like, oh my God, which then led to literally two months later, me um, working on taking the um, GMAT test for MBA program and then getting accepted into and starting an MBA program. Wow. Okay. It's All amazing. while deployed. Now, tying this to podcasts real quick, had you not started listening to podcasts, none of that may have happened. Have you ever thought about that? I, I haven't put those together, but it's definitely true because, um, you know, exposure to various things, especially limited, right? I mean, uh, you know, you're on your own little island in life in general. So it's about who you're hanging out with. Um, and then when you're deployed, you know, when I was deployed, the people I was hanging out with aren't necessarily entrepreneur, aren't, aren't thinking about that. Some are and yeah. some aren't, right? And so it's like, who are you around and what's influencing you? And you can read some books, but where do you even start? And um, yeah, okay. and, and I'm the kind of guy that listens to podcasts at one and a half to two times speed uh, <laughs> to just tear through them. So uh, for me, it was, it was great. I mean, podcasts, you know, anything I want to learn about, I'll literally just download podcasts and listen to them. Yeah, it's a, it's a great learning tool. Um, talk to, okay, then at some point you stopped doing this overseas thing and you went to work for Ameritech Financial. Yeah, so what happened was I uh, decided, hey, I know what I want to be when I grow up, a sales consultant, business consultant, business okay. coach. It's in alignment with what I was doing a few years before then for uh, you know, some companies, some offices. Uh, and so I started working on the MBA because I wanted to get the knowledge and then I also wanted to tie in my experiences and, and make it a little more valid versus this, this guy with the marine biology, um, okay. was working on that. And then somebody I knew who I had helped uh, with previous business basically made me an offer that got me to stop deploying and essentially work there in the capacity as a, essentially what I, would, I do now as a business consultant and as a sales consultant, but internally just working on projects, helping in various ways, starting offices, do, doing whatever I could and whatever was needed. Um, that was what I did. And then I finished the MBA and then that company ended at the end of 2018. And I said, okay, now's my chance. This is, uh, this seems like the door that's opening for me to, um, you know, start the consulting and, and give that everything I've got. What, so that company folded. I don't, I don't know the history there. Yes. Oh, yep. they did. Okay. All right. Did you walk out with any kind of severance or it was just like, oh, no. payday, payday, <laughs> payday's over and I'm going to start my own firm and I don't have any clients yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty much like that too. I was, uh, you know, it was a, uh, when they, when you start a consulting business or when you start as a consultant, they always tell you, make sure that you have a full list of people who are going to hire you right away. So you can hit the ground one, running and then also make sure you have six to 12 months of money uh, available so that yeah. you can float yourself. Uh, I hadn't planned on not working. And so I hadn't built up to that. I hadn't planted the seeds. So I did not have the money saved up and I did not have the Rolodex built out. Um, plus Scary. was dealing with a divorce at that point. So the Ooh. divorce actually was happening oh. at the end of 18. Ooh, and so a lot going on. And so I thought, hey, now, now's the perfect time to start my own business and be a consultant. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. How old are you in 2018 then? Well, how old were you then? 42, 40, uh, 43 at the end of that, yeah. So I'm 43 
right, I know I have sales skills, sales coaching, yeah. sales leadership skills. I know I got that. Um, I got some great experience, but I just lost my job. I'm going through a divorce. I don't have any clients built up. I don't have any big savings built up. And oh, by the way, the divorce probably costs money because they always do. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's pretty Woo. much it. All right. Uh, now, who is your? Who are you leaning on right in here for mentoring and emotional support? Is that your your mom? Is that your dad? Is that somebody else? like who are you calling? Um, me? Hey, man. Um, I need I need, parent, I, need a pep, I need a pep talk. <laughs> uh, parents were supportive. You know, they they always want the best for me. They they are very supportive of my windy path and the messy decisions. Um, it's always been a challenge for them to fully grasp it. Uh, luckily, they don't give me advice unless I ask, which is nice. So they're not trying to control my life and tell me. But for them, their lifelong W-2 paycheck, stable yeah. job, career type people, right? Coming from that demographic and that, you know, baby boomer age, like having a job. And my dad retired from that company after 39 years, right? Like my mom's second career she had, she finished at 20 years. And then there's me. Literally, I can remember when I got into real estate and helping people in foreclosure, I was so excited after a few months. I told my parents, I was like, hey, I got this new deal I'm working on. They're like, great, when are you going to get paid? If it goes well, it'll be in three months. And I can just hear my parents freaking out, right? Because they don't understand. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're not getting paid every two weeks? And, you know, what, are, what kind of benefits? Like, I, I don't have insurance. What do you mean insurance? What do we need that for? <laughs> and so that's kind of like my mindset versus they're very supportive and loving, always there if, uh, if I need them. Um, but the business side was just kind of mostly on my own island and then just networking with people. I kind of, I had neglected LinkedIn and I just started networking with people on there, finding people doing what I wanted to do or in the local area, people in the San Francisco Bay area because I'm so close and networking groups to go uh, visit and join um, and, you know, developing some relationships with people at trade shows, conferences, you know, and, and like that. Mm. You were one of those guys that uh, didn't think LinkedIn was a big deal until you needed it, right? <laughs> I joined LinkedIn, I'm going to guess, in 2002, 2003, 2004. I was excited when I hit 500 contacts. I thought that was amazing. Um, and then when I started consulting, because when I'm an employee, when I'm a VP of sales, you don't use LinkedIn. You don't care. I don't need articles. I don't need data. I don't need contacts. I just need sales like, and you can't help me. So I'm, I'm, I literally would check LinkedIn once a year. Um, and that was it. So I started my consulting, I think with 600 contacts in the end of 18. Right. So I started, I had like 500 contacts in 2004 and then I started 2008, or, you know, consulting with, with 600. Um, so, and you know, there's some good and some, you know, not so good with LinkedIn, depending on who you're, you know, wanting to connect with. Well, if you're in your own business, if you're in sales and you're in your own business, I mean, it's a vital tool, obviously. So yeah, yeah you've done it. You've done a lot to it since then. So congratulations. <laughs> I, you know, uh, obviously I studied your profile and everything before the podcast. So yeah, it's come a long way since then. So nice. Yes, nice it has. Nice, nice job on it. So tell us then, give us the, give us the Cutter Consulting Group elevator pitch. The, give us the. Give us the pitch. Go for it. So most companies are started and run by somebody who has a product or service they believe in, they want to sell, but they're not good at selling it or creating systems and processes. And the challenge is that sales teams need those things to perform effectively. The other trend that I see a lot is that unfortunately people sit in the sales seat but I would label them more like order takers because they don't have the skills. They're afraid of being that bad manipulator. Uh, and so they end up doing nothing and they don't perform well. And then sales teams really struggle and sales reps struggle. So I come in and help companies assess the whole situation holistically. And then we look at everything that we can improve from scripting to training, to coaching, to technology, to lead generation in order to help the team optimize their selling effectiveness and scale to whatever level they want. I see. You know, that first part. So do you, do you target 
startups and early stage and small to medium sized companies? Is that your target? I, I do. Yeah. That's the, who tends to be most of my clients. Um, you know, it's a lot of times founders who are really good at selling in themselves. They hired some sales reps and they don't understand why everyone else can't sell it as well as them. Um, <laughs> but they're not building scripts. They're not building systems. They're not listening to phone calls. They're, they're just thinking everyone should be excited because it's their baby, right? Nobody else loves your baby as much as you do. Mm -hmm. Yep. I totally agree. You're right. Most of the startups, they built something, they made something, they had an idea, they're good visionaries, whatever, you know, the CEOs, the, the original founders. And then, yeah, it, it starts to kind of, I don't know, fall into neutral because there's no real sales force there. Um, and they're not big enough to hire a $250,000 a year, big time sales VP. And so right. that's where, that's where Jason comes in. Yeah, and that's where most of my clients have been in the last year uh, has been, uh, and I describe it as companies where there's a hole in the org, org chart, right? Yep. It's missing that director of sales or that VP of sales. Uh, either they haven't gotten to that point and they can't justify it or they've tried and then they've, you know, regressed uh, and they've gone up and down. You know, they've hired a bunch of salespeople. It hasn't worked out. They've hired, they've fired, they've hired, they've fired. Um, and so I can come in as that fractional VP of sales, put the systems in place, help them scale, help them hire, you know, make everything so that you can, someone else can take the keys to that. Usually then what happens is I help them hire that person to come in and do it. Um, and then, you know, take the reins and run with it. Okay. So you're not a hired gun, so to speak. You're not going to come in and do all the sales, but you'll help them set up the processes and the platform and get the right people and all of those things. Is that accurate? I it depends. Like I've also done the sales. I mean, I've had clients who, um, you know, they're doing trade show strategies. So I'm literally going with them to trade shows back when that was legal. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the booth, helping the reps learn how to sell from the booth appropriately. And then also doing sales myself, like literally closing deals, grabbing credit cards, like, you know, making things happen on my own, partly okay. just because I think it's fun and partially to show the others, like, here's how it's done. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. All right. And you've had the consulting group now, Cutter Consulting Group for two years? Uh, almost two years. It's approaching two years. Uh, almost two years. Okay. Well, hey, you know, what's the percentage of the startups that fail? Uh, and <sighs> what's the measure on that? I don't know. 50, 60% fail in the first year or two, something like that. Yeah, I think it's the first two years, like 50, 50%, 50 30 to 50% fail. Yeah. Okay. And you're already almost at your second year. Okay. By the way, it's yeah. cutter, it's cuttercontultinggroup.com. Okay. Very good. So far, is it just you? Yep. It's just okay. me. I have some subcontractors. I have various people I pull in. Uh, I'm really good at being the quarterback and the visionary of seeing what we need to do for the sales team. There's some stuff that I'm really good at, like the coaching, the training, the scripts. And then I have people I bring in for the technical side, uh, you know, the, the technical development, the lead generation, you know, any of those kind of partnerships needed. Do, do you want to blow this thing out to where you have employees and a big firm or what's your goal there? You know, it's interesting. I, I go back and forth and I'm kind of letting things go the way it will without kind of controlling it. Okay. Um, part of me really enjoys being that uh, business of one and, you know, that, that kind of army of one. But then also at some point, you know, if I have more clients that are coming on board than I can service, then how do I deal with that? And I'd like to impact more people than what I can just do you know, in a given week, um, and then also create some freedom where I'm not having to do all of it. So I could see myself scaling to what level? I don't know. I don't know if that means, you know, two or three other consultants under me. I don't know if that's a team. I don't know okay. if I go really big. Uh, I'm kind of in those, I don't have a need to go a certain way. I'm open to it completely. And I'm enjoying the process and the ride so far, you know, less than two years in and how far I've come and then be like, okay, you know, what's the next phase going to look like? Are you, are you making money? Yep. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, you know, an honest disclosure, I didn't for the first six months. I, it took me six oh, months, cool. zero revenue, no clients, building relationships, building networks, figuring out what I wanted, you know, who I was serving um, to get my first clients. And then from there, it's been busy. You know, recently it's been a little slow and then now it's picking up again as companies are starting to thaw out. Um, but yeah, I mean, that first six months was all faith. It was all, I mean, I started my podcast 
with no clients. I was writing a book with no clients. Like I was just doing everything I know felt right. And then just trusted that if I put it in, you know, put the effort in, it was going to happen. I want to get into the podcast and the book, but let me ask you a couple of questions here. So what happens when you service a client and they're like, Hey, listen, man, just come be our VP of sales. W2. <laughs> um, well, so far that's happened. Um, multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, it's always flattering and I'm not against it. So I've said no each time so far um, and not for specific reasons other than I just wasn't ready, but I'm also not against it. I'm, you know, if, if an opportunity came by and the timing was right and my mindset was right and it was something, you know, it felt right, uh, I would be totally on board. I, I mean, I, I, you know, like you, some people you've talked to in the past on your show and then some people like I know they're just, you know, they'll say they're unemployable right? They literally could not work for somebody else. I yeah. can, I'm a good, you know, I, that's why I work well as a consultant because you match me up with a visionary entrepreneur leader who has some problems and I will fix those problems and then move on, right? That's my strength. And so, um, yeah, but when it's come up, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of looking at it and then, you know, saying no to that opportunity and then helping them find the right person and then transferring everything to that person and then, uh, you know, moving on. Okay. You know, I get hit with, I don't know. I don't know how many sales emails I get a day, you know, I, I don't know, 15, 20 through various forms, whether it's regular email or LinkedIn messaging or something, you know, you know, everybody's, everybody can increase our sales. Everybody can get us more leads. Everybody can, <laughs> you know, it's just it's the same crap like, all day long, you know, with little cheesy uh, emails and messaging. Um, I guess my question is, well, two part, two parts here. What makes Jason different from the massive sea of people like you? Give, give me that real quick. And then can you just speak to cheesy messaging on LinkedIn for, to, with pe that people do trying to sell? It's just so terrible. I, I, sometimes I just want to post it. I just want to copy and paste. I, want, I just want to be like, look, look at this shitty message that this person sent. I mean, this is just terrible. Like, I can't believe this person's in sales. So anyway, two parts there. What makes you different? And, and what advice would you give to people on their messaging, uh, specifically emails? Go ahead. But by the way, before I answer those, I've noticed that you haven't been responding to my emails and my LinkedIn messages trying to help you with your business. That's right. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know why that is, but we can talk about that later. Uh, no, seriously. Um, you know what? What makes me different is what I have realized. Like as as far as like in the sales seat or with with companies and helping their sales team is that the time I spent in the desert, right? The, the literal desert, but also my mental desert years ago, mm -hmm. I realized what made me effective and special was actually my windy path. It was actually my, my awkward only childness uh, growing up in a household where my mom literally hated salespeople. Now, some people get into sales and consulting and it's because, you know, dad was a salesperson or mom owned a business and it's just like in their family, in their blood. Two analytical parents hated salespeople. Interesting. That's how I grew up, right? Like I, <laughs> I repelled people. Like I literally, up to a couple of years ago, I say, I don't really like people. And everyone be like, you're ridiculous. Like you obviously like people. I'm like, no, people are messy. I don't like them. Um, that's <laughs> like, that's my starting mindset. And the reason I mention that is because I think that's actually very valuable because when I approach conversations, because I want to help people, I care about them, but I'm not trying to sell them. I'm not trying to manipulate them. I don't come from that long lineage um, and, you know, of, of people who are like, oh, that, this is just what you do. You talk people into it and then you move on to somebody else. Um, but I don't. And so for the longest time, I didn't have a label for it. But what I call it now, and the term I use is authentic persuasion, um, which is what the like book's going to be about. But that's what I help people do is I, I realize the power in myself and my effectiveness in sales, in leadership, in, in convincing companies what they should do or teams of people, like all of that is because I'm the more authentically me I am and my hot mess background, but bringing all that into the conversation and being empathetic and caring combined with proactively, positively persuading people for the right reasons. Mm. When you combine those things, to me, that's ultra powerful. And it's the persuasion piece. The best example I give people is imagine if you went into the doctor and this is what salespeople do right now. That's just 
like not the pushy people, we'll get to them in a second, but the order takers is imagine you go into the doctor, your leg is broken and the doctor says, your leg is broken. We need to get it fixed. You know, here's my card. Call me next week. If you're interested, I'll send you a follow-up email. You know, let me know if you want to set a time to talk right? Like, no, you have a broken leg. I'm going to fix it. Any questions, this is going to hurt. And then they do it, right? Like they assume that they're the professional, you have a problem. And so a lot of salespeople are order takers because they're not assuming they're the professional. They don't see mm. themselves as the professional. And so what I do is, is focus more on empowering them to view themselves as the one who can solve their prospects problems and help them in serious ways no matter what it is, you could be selling marketing software, it doesn't matter, but like it's impactful. And so you sell from that place and you can do amazing things and have amazing conversations that don't feel slimy or pushy or manipulative. Um, so like that's it. the first part. That's what makes me really different in the people I work with, like that like get it. it. Um, that's the approach that they work and you can scale that. That's really easy. You don't have to be a smooth talking, like, uh, you know, natural born, which isn't a thing, salesperson. You can be anybody who just intends well and wants to be good at sales. And then that's, that's all I need, right? Like help that that's scalable. Cause you can't, you can't put a hundred rocks, superstar, rock star salespeople in a room together. You can't scale a company to that. It doesn't work. It's usually a lot of drama. It's expensive. I mean, you got to have some, you want to have some good people, but it's tough to have a hundred or a thousand of those. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing. The Good. second thing is, is with that frame of mind and mindset, I'm much more on the inbound lead generation side than the outbound. Okay. So I'm not a cold LinkedIn spammer, an email spammer. I send some emails, but it's really just, I know that doesn't matter and it doesn't work other than some awareness, providing content, providing yeah. value. For the same reason, your doctor doesn't walk around on the street looking at people and going, hey, I noticed that you have a little limp. Um, let me tell you how you can fix it. And, uh, you know, let's set up an appointment, right? They don't. They take inbound leads. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, there's some, like, let's say chiropractors, when they're starting out, they're doing a lot of outreach, a lot of outbound. They're doing a lot of, you know, other things to try to get interest. Um, but, you know, s uh, sustainable is, is the inbound. And so for me, that's what I work with my companies. That's how I was raised in all of the organizations I was in, was how do you generate people who actually might need your help are aware that they might have a problem and then you can take it from there and really diagnose it and then see if you can solve it. Mm, I like that. Okay. Very good. Excellent. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. How about these cheesy LinkedIn cold messages? Just what's your advice? Don't do them. Don't do it. So, so here's where I'm really torn is I have literally like my bookkeeper and my tax person as is, as is as a result of a cold LinkedIn message, right? She sent me the message. I was looking for a bookkeeper. The timing was right. I'm like, hey, why not? Let me get on. I'm in yes mode. So I'm, I'm interested in, in, you know, various things that come up. And so that actually worked. Um, I have a couple other service providers that that actually worked and like relationships have been formed. Um, but most of the other ones, what doesn't work is when they assume I have the problem they're trying to solve. When I get the message that says, well, you're, you're in business, which means you need 10 to 15 more appointments a week in order to grow your business. My thought in my head is, I do? You, you really? You think I do? Like, <laughs> you have the audacity to tell me that? Like, no. Um, those are the ones that just miss the mark instead of like the, hey, you know, I, I would like to help provide value. Is there anything I can do? You know, something, again, this is the thing. You wouldn't do that in real life. You wouldn't be at a party and walk up to somebody and start pitching your thing instantly without getting to know somebody. So stop doing it on LinkedIn. Bingo, bingo. Right there is my, usually my answer is the chances of you getting my attention to buy something from you without a relationship of some kind are almost zero. I mean, they're yeah. almost zero. I don't want to say 100% zero, but yeah, I mean, that's just so, so, so slim that you're going to get my attention on that. Even if I happen to be in yes mode, I'd still call yeah. somebody I knew that I had a relationship with probably if I had a need. Uh, and, so. and it's not worth it. And there's other ways to do it. And there's other ways to start the conversation. And if it goes that way, great. Um, but when you're, when you're looking for, you know, you're in taking mode and you're constantly looking for how do you get what you want mm -hmm. instead of like, how do you help other people? 
that's a tough one to win at scale. I know they say do it like cold call and cold outreach and cold emails. There's companies that live by that, but that doesn't feel right for me. And so that's not what I focus on. Yeah. I don't encourage it either. I think that was a good comparison there. You wouldn't walk into, you wouldn't go to a, uh, a, a conference of some kind or a meeting of some kind, right? A gathering of people and just walk up to somebody and pitch them in the first 15 seconds. Like you just wouldn't do that. Right. And I think of it the same way. LinkedIn is very similar in my opinion. Now I know people are going to listen to this episode and you know, they're going to disagree and give us, give us all the reasons why it works. (laughs) And I think some of that really comes down to mindset, right? Like I don't think it works, so I don't do it. So it doesn't work. Some people think, Hey, this works and it's great and it's scalable. And I can do a thousand of those a day with some automation and I get some clients. Great. If that works for you, that's great. By the way, for those listening, the automation part is the biggest turnoff. You know, I, as soon as, as if I if I can tell that it's that automated deal where it kicks me a response as soon as I, I accept the oh, connection, yeah. that, those will never get my attention. Yeah, <laughs> never. Uh, um, okay, very good. So let's walk now into the book. Let's talk about the book, and then we'll do the podcast at the end if that's okay. Tell us about the book. So the title of the book is Selling with Authentic Persuasion. And then the subtitle is Transform from Order Taker to Quota Breaker. So it's essentially what I was just talking about in that whole process, what I believe. Um, but it's walking somebody through the, the steps of the authentic side, the persuasion piece, and then a third section, which I call the intangibles, which is really those, like if you're a fan of sports, you know, you know what intangibles are, right? In basketball, an intangible is, it's the hustle play. It doesn't make a stat, but the fact that they dove for that ball and got the ball and then threw it to somebody else, like that's what makes winners win are those little plays that have no way to track them. Um, In sales, there are those things where I call them the intangibles that sales reps generally do wrong, order takers generally do wrong, but it's the difference maker in amazing results. And so, but you have to follow all those. You can't just jump right into intangibles. You have to have the authentic piece. You have to know who you are, what you're afraid of, what's holding you back, why you're doing it. Why do you even want to be successful in sales? Because you're going to need that when you get punched in the face a hundred times tomorrow uh, by a hundred people who say no. Right. And so you've got to have that. And then the persuasion piece is, you know, how do you walk someone through a process like a professional in order to persuade them in the right way for both you and them um, to move the right people towards buying? Very good. How do you, how do you get a copy of the book besides going to consulting or cutterconsultinggroup.com is, is that the best thing to do to get a copy or what do you recommend? Yep. So uh, the book is coming out soon. So go there and uh, oh, you can sign the, up for it soon. Oh, I see. I see. Gotcha. What's the launch date? Uh, in August. Okay. Very good. So you can sign up to, you can do. Yep. So pre- I'm going to, I'm, I'm adding it to the site so you can sign up for a pre uh, pre list for when the book launches, um, even get a sample of the book so that you can kind of read what it's about and then uh, we'll keep everyone updated. Very good. Okay. How did you, uh, any advice for, for writing a book? Uh, I know it's an ebook. Do you want to, do you want to give any, do you want to, and a physical book? It'll, it'll, it'll be a printed book. That's where it's at right now. It's in the process of getting printed and further edited. Uh, two things. One I would say is, um, get a help, get help, get a coach. Uh, if you're going to self-publish, get a coach. Like a ghostwriter, they call it. Um, no, not even, not even that's So that's another option. There's ghostwriter. If you're really bad at writing and you okay. know that, which is fine. Like anyone who is familiar with Gary Vee talks about all the time. He's not good at writing. He would rather like record into his phone for nine hours than have somebody just take that and make a bestseller. Um, if you're, so that's ghostwriting and there's many ghostwriters out there. They do amazing work. That's one option. I mean, more of a coach, someone who's got a framework for how to write a book. They're going to hold you accountable. Here's mm-hmm. the process. Here's mm-hmm. the formula. Mm-hmm. Here's what to write especially a fiction book where it's a business self uh, help or nonfiction book uh, where it's like it's business related it's it's focused on you know some kind of message right it's not just a story um, then you know there's a way to help you get through that process especially if you've never written one before mm-hmm. and then the other thing I would say is make sure it's a topic you love writing about and you have a lot of information about and you're willing to push through 
uh, all the barriers and all of the doubt and all of the issues and all of the other costs that come up and all of the challenges and, you know, just everything that goes with anything, right? Like building a house, like it's always going to take twice as long and cost three times as much. Um, you know, writing a book is, can feel like that. You know, uh, the Rider Flex podcast has been going on now for a couple of years and we had somebody that said, hey, we should put all your podcast tips in a book. And I said, okay, yeah, great, let's do it. And uh, then, I, then I looked into how to get that going. And uh, I thought, okay, no, I don't, I'm not interested in spending $10,000 to get a book launched. You know, let's, I don't know. What's the, co what, what's the average cost of getting a book like this launched? Do you know? Do you have any idea? I mean, if you're going to do self-published mode, then it's in that range for sure. I see. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay. it's easily, it's easily that much. And it also just depends on what the purpose is, right? Are you think you're going to be a best-selling author or is this to help with credibility or is to help get clients or uh, you know, hand out at keynote speeches that you're doing or some value add for your clients or good tip. for training. So good it, tip. you know, it, 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 you know, what is it going to be for? Gotcha. Okay. Very good. All right. Now the podcast. So you're, you're a fellow podcaster, man. We can, yep. we could, we could do another two hours on podcasting stories couldn't we <laughs> yeah for sure oh man uh, tell us about the podcast it's called tell the sales experience podcast um i started it last april um and it's five days a week 10 to 15 minutes i've actually been doing some shorter episodes under 10 minutes recently uh it's all sales related obviously it's focused on salespeople, managers leaders business owners, anyone who's dealing with or in the sales kind of role. Uh, and it's really designed kind of like the book to help people do sales the right way, quote unquote, such that, you know, we shift the way that customers and prospects in the world view salespeople. Right now, sales is a dirty word. And if you're, if you don't believe that, look at most companies' titles that they give salespeople that hide the fact that they're salespeople, right? Account executive, business development rep, right? Like, you know, technical account manager. Like, no, you're a salesperson, but you're afraid of saying salesperson because people don't like it. And that's what me and a whole bunch of other people right now in this current mode are wanting to shift uh, mm. and change. Okay, so it's five days a week. It's yep. 10, 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes it's you talking, sometimes you have guests. Yep. Okay, yep. I am, uh, I'm 240 episodes plus in and um, yeah, it's, it's either me talking about sales stuff, it's guests and uh, you know, even consultants like me, trainers, business owners, salespeople, just anything and everything that might help or somebody might gravitate towards that message that could help them in their career. Awesome. Who do you use? Who's your host? Uh, I actually use Castos. Uh, which most people haven't heard about, but I, when I first started, I really loved their WordPress plugin. So I do all of it scheduled in WordPress in I advance. See. And uh, then literally it just is scheduled. It goes live and then pushes everywhere I want it to go. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I like that ease where it's just like I scheduled in advance one and done. Very good. No video. You don't want to go video. So I record all of them video, all the guest ones, and I have them, but I'm just literally not doing anything with them. Uh, at times I have a spasm where I want to put them all up on YouTube and I just haven't been. And I, I don't know, my video is not my strength or my comfort zone. And so kind of I default to not doing much with them. I have a ton in the can, ready to go. Okay, very good. What advice would you give to the listener that is out there right now and I, I mean, I want to start my own podcast. What would you tell that person? From me, from the analytical side, what I recommend is set a goal for the number of episodes you're going to do, which is what I know Tim Ferriss recommends as well. So you got to figure out the frequency. How often are you going to do it? Are you going to do a weekly show like most people? Or are you crazy like me with five days a week? Um, if you're going to do weekly, how many episodes are you going to commit to? Like, no BS, commit to, here's what you're going to do and don't give up too soon. Um, what is that number? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 20? And set that number, set that intention. And then what I would recommend is making sure you have enough content and it's something you want to talk about for at least that length of time or more. What you don't want to do is commit to 10 episodes, you get three in and then you're like, I got nothing to talk about. Now I'm out of luck. For me, I set my goal at 100 episodes. And before I hit record the first time, I mapped out, it was solo, just myself. I mapped out the topic for all 100 episodes in advance. 
I knew exactly what I was going to talk about for all hundred episodes. And then I adjusted as I recorded and I moved things around and I, I, I pivoted many times in the show. But when I started, I had the spreadsheet with a hundred, hundred episode subjects, ready to go topics, boom, done. I could hit record. I could have recorded all hundred in advance and been, you know, basically three months ahead. I think that's really good advice. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is when you set that goal of 100, you should also prepare your mind to say, okay, I'm going to launch 100 no matter what. If I, don't get no matter a, what. if I don't get a single listen, if I don't get a single like, doesn't matter. I'm going to do 100. Because what happens most of the time is, you know, people, I think people, they um, are so used to the drug that is Facebook yep. likes, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. and they don't get any listens or likes or comments. And so they start to lose faith in it. I think that happens right away. Uh, so I would commit to your hundred and do it no matter what happens. If not, if a single person doesn't listen, do your hundred. That's the first thing I'd I'm, mention. And go ahead. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause that was the other thing I was going to talk about was set your goal have your content and then literally don't check the stats yeah. if you're yeah, prone to yeah. that. Now okay. I started a podcast actually when I was in the desert, uh, I started a podcast back then when I was working on a, a concept called coaching to abundance. So I started a podcast. I think I did seven episodes, uh, but I was watching the numbers and I yeah. fell victim to it and you not enough people were downloading. Like when I post something, not enough people like it or react. And then I yeah. feel bad about myself. And so I literally quit and I gave up and I had some voices in my life telling me like, you shouldn't do it. Like you, you, you're not good enough. And so that didn't help either. Then when I did this show it was super clear. I'm like, I want to start a podcast. I have to get this voice out. A lot of people ask me like, how do you monetize it? How much money have you made up? Like, no, that's not the Zero. point. Like this is, this is burning inside of me. Like literally I had to do it like the book. I had to do it. Um, and I looked at the stats in the very beginning, and I share this because on the first day, I had four downloads, and I was so excited that four people listened to it. I was well, overjoyed because I had no expectation. I literally didn't care. And I'm like, that's so awesome, right? Well, and then the, the next the day, it was like 14. And then it was like 20. I'm like, that's cool. And I would go months without checking my stats because that's not why I'm doing it. The cool thing there what what really matters is when you put something out and a complete stranger listens to it and yeah. and like like even one of the uh, bottom line is if you get a complete stranger on this planet to listen to anything you have to say 100%. that's an accomplishment <laughs> and and i marvel at that too i i look at my stats now like lifetime stats and i think man that's not that much i know other people who do that in a week um yeah. because they're just animals and then and I'll say that to somebody else and then I'll instantly go, wait a minute, that means there's tens and tens of thousands of people who heard a message I put out there mm -hmm. who were impacted in some way mm -hmm. in, yep. I think it's now 46 or 48 countries where it's Very like, nice. holy crap, that's amazing. How right. do I do yeah. more? I'm like, yeah. I should do seven days a week or twice a day. Like, how do I do more? The other, the other thing you just mentioned there that we should touch on is, yeah, don't, don't start it because you think you're going to make a lot of money on podcasting or you think it's going to make you rich and famous because there's a 99.5% chance it will never produce a dollar for you and you will never be famous. So if you're into it for that, you could, you should just stop right now because there are very few Gary V's in the world, as you mentioned, right? I mean, out of the millions and millions of people that produce podcasts, very few are going to be Joe Rogan or anybody else. So yeah, if you're, if you're into it for that, you, you should you should stop because that you should well, be disappointed you should be doing it for the passion and because you want to help yeah. people and then if strangers listen great if it takes off someday and you make money on it hey good for you but don't 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 live for that don't don't wait for that <laughs> no and there's a different intention and a different energy that goes behind something you're doing just to make money versus yes. when you're doing it because you're either you you need to because it's like who you are or you know it will help other people right. and then the your your profit is a secondary benefit and then it's always important you look at the joe rogans of the world and the deal he signed and a hundred million dollars and that's great he's been at that game for a long time yeah and if you don't long believe time. that if you don't believe that just look up some of joe rogan's early stuff I mean, it's, it's, it's Rough. terrible. It's terrible. terrible. That's <laughs> yeah. what I keep in mind. Every time I do a podcast or a video, I'm like, okay, someday I'll look back at this and go, man, yeah. that was rough, but at least you did it. 
By the way, some of Gary V's early stuff is also terrible. Rough, man. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, you really bring up a good point there, uh, just to emphasize it. And that's why that's how RiderFlex was started. I mean, we as a recruiting firm, we started the RiderFlex podcast because we every week we would just marvel at the the crazy things candidates would do or say, you know, and we'd have a, a team meeting with the recruiters and all the recruiters would sit around and go, Oh my God, I can't believe the candidate did that. Can you believe it? <laughs> and so we started it as, as a give back. I mean, it really was like, damn, all right. Don't they know better? Like we got to help these people, you know? Yeah. And of course we get paid by the companies, right? We don't get paid by the, the candidates. So we don't have a lot of time one-on-one -on -one to coach all these, these job candidates on all the shit they're doing wrong. So, yeah. so we started the podcast as a way to give back. And so I think that's important. If you're going to do a podcast and you, and you um, build it around a give of some kind, because you want to help people, then you're more likely to be successful and continue doing it. If you're starting a podcast, cause you think it's going to generate money right away. No, you're just going to be disappointed. So, yep. Um, okay. Very good. All right. Awesome. And, um, the uh, the podcast is launched at a certain time every day, or what? What can people expect there? Is it like if they want to follow you, and they're like, "Okay, I got to listen to my daily, Jason." Yeah, what are you doing? Most episodes are coming out between six and seven a.m. Pacific time. Pacific time. Okay, very good. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm right on that. By the way, I I'm always telling my guys here at RiderFlex, like, "Hey, we should launch generally about the same time." if we do yeah. have followers that want to listen, they're going to look for it right around the same time, especially if they're commuting. Well, yeah. <laughs> assuming, assuming people commute to work someday again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, for the listeners, we're recording this on July 7th, 2020. So the reason we're talking about that is because it's still in the middle of the COVID situation. Yeah. A lot of people working yeah. from home. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm very happy for you, Jason, to see everything you're doing. You're obviously a hustler, my man, you're a hustler, right? I mean, you, all you gotta do is look you up on the website and LinkedIn and you're getting after it. You're getting up every day and busting ass and doing your marketing and getting your presence out there and getting the book ready and doing podcast. And that ain't easy, my friends. Uh, if you think it is, just try it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Thanks, Steve. The Rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.